Hi, and welcome back to Dissecting Dexter. I'm Gareth, your host, and this is a spoiler-free podcast, looking back and re-watching the Showtime series Dexter. We're working our way through Season 1, and today we're looking at Episode 5, entitled Love, American Style. Firstly, though, if you want to get in touch with the show, you can email or send an MP3 voice message to dissectingdexter, or one word, dissectingdexter, at gmail.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter, at Dissect Dexter. There's also the blog, dissectingdexter.blogspot.com, where you can also send me a comment if you prefer that to email. OK, so let's get stuck into Love American Style. Original air date, the 29th of October 2006, episode written by Melissa Rosenberg and directed by Robert Lieberman. We start with Dexter looking up at the clear blue sky, away in his own little world, musing as always. I like to pretend I'm alone, completely alone, maybe post-apocalypse or plague, whatever, no one left to act normal for, no need to hide who I really am, it would be freeing. Stop grinning like a fucking psycho and get back to work. Sorry, Sergeant. I was just waiting for forensics to wrap up before I tear the bed apart. Ha! You've got to love dokes. So, we see they're actually outside the old hospital we saw last episode. Dexter's there to analyse the blood, of course, but in voiceover he continues his identification with the ice truck killer. Ice truck killer still seems like a little bit of a mouthful to keep calling him that, but we've not had another name for him yet. Dexter's calling him his shadow companion, and notes how all the police now here in this place that was his, his sanctuary for a while, how how it seems so disrespectful. So here we've got Dexter with his psycho head on, inevitably perhaps identifying more with the killer than he does the rest of society. No surprise really, but a bit disturbing nonetheless when we've grown to like this character over the last four episodes or so. LaGuerta is there and hopes Dexter can find something, but it seems the place is spotless. The only blood they've found belongs to Tony Tucci, the security guard. We learn that Tucci is still unconscious, so hasn't said anything about his ordeal yet. Dexter turns to the makeshift bed that he found Tucci on. Masuka is here, and together they scan the area for additional blood traces. Deb comes up to Dexter. She's got nothing to do until Tucci wakes up, but she refuses to take a break. Oh yes, she's a hard-working girl, no doubt, but good on her, wanting to be seen to be dedicated and working hard. She's ambitious, but knows she's the junior in the department. Dexter says she needs to find more time for her personal life, and she says that her problem is keeping someone once she's found them. We cut to the hotel where Rita works. She sees the woman who she took the yapping dog to in the last episode. Her name's Yelena, and she's obviously a maid at the hotel. Yelena is upset, and it turns out that she's paid someone to bring her fiancé into the country. They've not arrived, and meanwhile the coyote, as she calls him, is asking for more money. Obviously, this is all about some organised illegal entry into the United States. Yelena was meant to drop off more money in a park before she can get her fiancé back, but she's unable to pay. Rita offers to get Dexter to help her, using his police contacts, but Yelena says no, the coyote had threatened her family. But Rita talks to Dexter, who says there is someone he can talk to at work about it. 
Rita talks about Yelena staring out to sea, longing for her fiancé to come back, and asks Dexter if he's ever longed for anything like that. And I love Dexter's reaction here. He puts up a finger and kind of flicks his eyebrows up like he's thinking, Oh, I get it. Give me a second to think. I know this one. And you can hear the cogs in his head whirring as he composes his response. She wants something from me. Ever since the blowjob, she assumes we've taken it to the next level. She doesn't know yet. I don't have a next level. Well, when I was a kid, I would have killed for an Atari. You know, Cody would laugh at the graphics now, but back then, man. Brilliant. Cut to Deb in the office. A girl comes up to her desk. She's one of the street girls she knew from her time undercover. She's after a favour to help with some personal trouble, but Dokes interrupts. They've found a cigarette butt at the hospital crime scene. Deb's get it. Deb gets excited because, hey, they could get evidence from it, a fingerprint or DNA. But Dokes quickly bursts her bubble, saying they could, but it'd be her fingerprint. She was smoking at a crime scene, and he's pissed off and sends her away to sit and wait for Tucci to wake up at the hospital, but not to talk to him without Dokes being there. Outside the police building, Dexter's talking to an officer about Yelena's problem, and he learns about the reality of the illegal Cuban immigrant operation. So, have you heard of any other Cuban immigrants disappearing? A few. Poor bastards. Spend their life savings, get stuffed into a fish hole, puke the whole 90 miles to Miami. Then they get here thinking, I'm an American. I'm free. Except the damn coyote, he won't let him go till his family comes up with a surprise release fee. If they can't pay, they disappear. Freedom's just another word for one more way to get fucked. Sounds like someone's doing something very bad. Someone might be killing illegal immigrants. Ooh, Dexter's spidey sense kicks in, and he asks about whether there are any suspects. There have been four or five, but not enough evidence for, for even a warrant. Dexter realises that if warrants have been applied for, names will be in the database. Dexter doesn't wait around and quickly identifies the suspects and finds one who lives near the park where Yelena was meant to drop off the money, Jorge Castillo. So, Dexter starts looking there. He arrives at the address, and it's a scrapyard, full of wrecked cars piled high up in rows, and as Dexter walks through, he notes no neighbours, no one to see what they're up to. He thinks this place will be a good place for human trafficking. Now, those viewers who've watched all the episodes up until now will have seen the formula for the show where Dexter has a kill of the week. It'd be a fair assumption that this trafficking storyline might just lead to this week's kill. But let's see. A man appears and challenges Dexter, who quickly jumps into bluff mode. Excuse me. Private yard. I'm just praying you have a 69 Stingray headlight somewhere in here. Uh, Dave Cutler. Jorge Castillo. I'm sorry, but I don't... Man, my restoration's almost done. She's a beauty. Yeah, no, I don't do individual sales, Mr. Culler, but you know what? I can give you the name of a Corvette shop that I deal with. I'd be happy to look around myself. <laughs> no offense, man, but uh, I can't take my phone orders if I'm watching over my merchandise. You run this whole place alone? Yeah, it keeps my costs down. Hey, I'm sorry you made the trip out here. You know what? Try Wexer's out in Tamarack. That's my vet guy. Yeah. Must be nice being your own boss. Get out on the water whenever you want. 
I saw that floater on your keychain. I got to get one of those. Lost my keys overboard twice in the past year. Do a little fishing. I got a 32-foot concept. What about you? I got a rowboat with a hole in it. <laughs> a lo mejor, los pescados te encuentran. I don't speak Spanish. So. Well, sorry, I just assumed you were Cuban. American pal, just like you. Just like me. I like how Dexter jumps so quickly into character and very cleverly tries to get information out of Castillo. Dexter's comments at the end there, just like me, strongly suggest that he's caught the scent of another secret killer. Dexter himself is, of course, well-versed in lying and concealing and can seemingly spot someone else doing the same thing from a mile away. Just a side note, Jorge Castillo is played by Jose Zuniga, who has a big back catalogue of roles in film and TV, especially TV. I recognised him first as playing a DEA agent in Con Air, but he's been in all sorts of things, including Ransom and Twilight, and just about every TV show there's ever been, including 24, The Shield, Law and Order, CSI, Nip Tuck, Lie to Me, Grey's Anatomy, you name it. But back to Dexter. We join Deb at the hospital now, where Tony Tucci is still asleep on heavy sedatives. Deb tries to talk to him, but he's unresponsive. She goes to sit down outside his room. That night, under the cover of darkness, Dexter returns to the scrapyard to dig a little deeper. I don't understand America's obsession with cars. I can just imagine squeezing Rita and the kids into this thing, hitting the open road, cramped quarters, public bathrooms, hours of nothing but conversation. Someone's American dream, my nightmare. Poor Dexter. The family thing is so alien to him, even though he's been shown to have an affinity with Rita's children. His comments here suggest all that might be more of an act than I previously gave him credit for. Or perhaps his affinity is genuine, but he can't or won't acknowledge it. Dexter continues looking around the scrapyard and breaks into a building. Straight away we see he's got the right guy. The floor of the building is filthy and littered with dirty mattresses, pillows, plates, rubbish. There are very crude toilets, plastic tubs barely concealed in large cardboard boxes with a toilet roll next to it. As he looks around, Dexter realises that the immigrants aren't being killed there, so where does he do it? Cut to the next day, and people on the beach discover a bloated body washed up on shore. A call comes in to Dexter from the office he spoke to earlier. Sorry, the officer he spoke to earlier. Uh, it seems the body could be a match for Yelena's fiancé. Dexter takes Yelena to the morgue to identify the body, accompanied by Rita for moral support. Dexter offers to take Yelena in. Should I? No, I'll go with her. She might need a shoulder. She senses I'm not a shoulder. Bad sign. She's catching on. That's so funny how Dexter interprets Rita's perfectly natural and understandable response as a possible sign of suspicion. The morgue attendant makes small talk to Dexter, but Dex is busy watching the women through the window, where Yelena's reaction confirms the identity of the body as that of her fiancé. Rita's shoulder was certainly needed. That must be what love looks like. The inability to feel has its advantages. 
sometimes. Dexter's comments remind me of Data in Star Trek The Next Generation when he got his emotion chip, a little device that enabled him to feel emotions, but a device that he can also switch on and off if he needs to. Interesting that Dexter recognises how not having emotions can be useful, but only sometimes. He realises that emotions have their value too. We jump to a flashback of teenage Dexter cutting the front lawn. A girl approaches him while Harry listens from nearby. Hey, Dexter. Hey, Mindy. Do you need any help? No. So, are you going to go to the spring formal? Why would I want to do that? She wanted you to ask her to the dance, Dexter. That's not what she said. Well, you have to learn their signals. Yeah, well, I don't really care about girls. No. I just like being alone. But most normal people don't. And it's important that you see them normal. Even though I'm not. Because you're normal. Harry does his Yoda thing again, but it's good advice for a young Dexter who seems to greatly lack much in the way of common sense. Cut next to the hospital where Tony Tucci is finally awake. Dokes and Deb are here while a doctor's helping to fit Tony with artificial legs. He seems to be in quite good spirits, Tony that is, considering what he's been through. Perhaps unnaturally so given that he was begging Dexter to kill him only two days earlier. He makes a remark about the... He makes a remark about the Doctor cramping his style with Deb sitting next to him, and the Doctor comes back and says he might have to fight him for her. Deb smiles, of course, enjoying the attention. The Doctor leaves, allowing Deb and Dokes to talk to Tony. I know what you need, guys, but I didn't see much. Oh, well, any detail will help, Mr. Tucci. Well, he came up on me from behind, and he wore a mask when he made me put the... Things on the ice. You get it. <laughs> oh, angel of mercy. <laughs> Just how merciful are you? <laughs> no, you are a dog, aren't you? <laughs> so the ladies tell me. Can you tell us how tall he was, or if he was black, white, Latino? White, I think. I'm guessing maybe average height. Not fat, not thin, just average. I don't know. And when he started, you know, working on me, I was blindfolded, so... Did you hear anything? Did he have an accent or anything? He didn't talk much, or he'd whisper. And that's all you heard? Except the rats. Sometimes they would crawl up on the bed and I'd have to shake him off. Some crap-ass witness I am, huh? You're doing fine. You've given us a lot. Yeah? Yeah. As Tony tries to remember, you can see his light-hearted remarks before may just be a facade, hiding the terrible psychological damage he must have suffered. However, the acting performance of Brad William Henke here isn't entirely convincing for me as portraying someone who's who's been through something so so indescribably terrifying and shocking. 
But his recollection doesn't really help Deb and Dokes that much, except that they're looking for Mr Average. Cut to Dexter in his boat from where he's watching Jorge Castillo's home. A very nice, expensive-looking waterfront property. Not quite befitting someone who runs a modest scrapyard on his own. Where does he get his money from, I wonder? Dexter sees a woman, presumably Mrs Castillo, come out to greet Jorge when he arrives home. Dexter says she's lucky she's got no idea who she's with and wonders if maybe that's the key to a successful relationship. Well, Dexter, I'm not so sure it is. But, hey, that's Dexter for you. Next, we join Deb and Dokes interviewing someone called Neil Perry who was on the hospital grounds walking his dog when they found Tony Tucci. He's looking through a book of mugshots. Turns out he saw someone there that night. Perry's... He's a little bit of a dick, it's fair to say, and Dokes gets pissed off again and calls. He calls an end to the interview. Deb follows him out, and LaGuerta tells her to basically send Perry packing, taking his, sh- his horse shit with him. They think he's just another time waster. Deb makes an attempt to criticise Dokes, and he doesn't react too well. You could try being a little more optimistic. I mean, if Tony Tucci can be optimistic, I think we can. You might get more out of people. How do you know Perry doesn't know anything? Because I've been doing this a lot longer than you. Okay. This case is getting colder every minute you waste on bullshit like Perry. And wanting to blindfold a trauma victim? What the fuck were you thinking? Tucci's closed for business now, and you shut him down. I... I was trying a new approach. Maybe you should just learn the basics before you reinvent the damn wheel. Debbie's contrite. But as anyone who's ever watched a show with police before, sometimes the rookie can have good ideas. We then cut to a bar, where Dexter's out with Batista, celebrating Batista's recent pay rise. Dexter's the barfly, though, nursing his drink, and questions Batista dancing with another woman when his wife's at home. Batista, knocking back the drinks, says she doesn't mind who he flirts with as long as he still brings La Passion home. It keeps the relationship alive, he says. Dexter says, well, what about trust and communication? But it's hard to get much sense from Batista, who's obviously pretty drunk, and maybe Dexter's not chosen the best time to fish for relationship advice. Batista basically says, never mind the emotional stuff as long as he still gives his wife what she wants in bed. Perhaps we're getting an inkling here of why Batista's not currently living at home with his wife and daughter. A woman drapes herself on Dexter. And we go to a flashback of teenage Dexter getting a prep talk from Harry before he goes to that dance the girl was asking about before. Dance with her, Dexter. Be polite. Get her punch. Open the door for her. And if you find yourself alone with her, things get romantic. Dad, I've kissed a girl before. You have? Yeah. And? Uh, I don't know. It was okay. Dexter, women are different from men. We've had this talk, Dad. I'm saying they have a whole different experience of things. When they're with someone physically, they feel connected. And they know when you're not. They can sense it because you're very exposed. Yeah, you're naked. I mean emotionally. Son, this is going to be very dangerous for you. I can fake it. Buddy, you can learn to fake a lot of things. This is a tough one. Dexter's had a long time to practice faking it, and it seems, for the most part, he's taken the safe route and stayed alone. That is, perhaps until he met Rita. 
Interesting how Harry pointed out how exposed Dexter will be if he gets intimate with a woman. He's saying how sensitive they are, and might sense something's not right about Dexter. All the time he's looking out for him, giving him advice to help him stay safe and undetected. We'll talk a little bit more about that in the feedback section. Back in the present day, Dexter drives Batista home, but his passenger has fallen into, into a, a deep, drunken, snorry sleep, so Dexter has to help him inside. Your wife's going to love me, he says. And when they get inside, the light goes on, and the wife's standing there. Dexter tells her he was out celebrating his pay rise, something she didn't know anything about. She reveals that Batista doesn't live there anymore. Dexter is, of course, surprised, and it's clear she doesn't want either of them there, so Dexter has to carry him back to the car. Next morning, Batista wakes up on Dexter's sofa, feeling like crap, of course, seriously hungover. While Dexter makes coffee, Batista stands in front of the famous aircon unit, enjoying the cool breeze. And they do a great shot from inside the aircon, so we see Dexter's hidden box of blood slides and Batista's face only inches away. He says he needs to get home because his wife will be worried. Dexter uses some tact and diplomacy and just says he'll drop him off at his car, not mentioning what the wife had told him. But I love Dexter's voiceover, saying how reassuring it is that he's not the only one pretending to be normal. Cut to the police department where Deb and Dokes are talking to Masuka as he examines the blood-stained sheet from the hospital. I found hair on this one that doesn't belong to Tucci. Rat hair. I probably picked up a parasite. Just Don't now. test me, Masuka. Uh... See all that shredding? Half of the sheep must be lining their nests. They took evidence away from the crime scene? Exactly. So we checked their nest? Uh, wild goose chase, without knowing what we're looking for. We could talk to Tucci again. He knows more than he thinks, and my gut tells me he can take it. Because you got the instincts of a veteran on the force. Masuka, run the sheep. See if we can trace it to a manufacturer. I've got caught in the morning, so call me on my cell if anything. All right, I get it. I'm a newbie. But you are old and tired, and you need new eyes on this. So when you're ready to let me do my job, you let me know. And don't you fucking say a word, Masuka. Go, Deb. I love Dokes and Masuka's reaction at the end there. Masuka just open-mouthed, and Dokes sticking his hands in his pockets, kind of shuffling awkwardly. But I also love the Masuka line at the beginning of the clip, letting us think just for a moment that he had some good evidence before he revealed that... He was actually bothered about the rat hair and turned it into a big dodge with him trying to avoid going anywhere near them. Cut to Dexter doing more research on Jorge Castillo when Rita rings him. They plan to get together but Dexter says he has some late night work to do. I wonder what that might be. But he can come round earlier. He says he'll pick up a DVD for them to watch. Something light. Cut to Rita's living room and we see Dexter has brought round Terms of Endearment. So, of course, Rita's in floods of tears. Dexter has such a priceless look on his face here, totally unmoved, but he turns to her, thinking that maybe if he doesn't blink, his eyes might tear up. So he does this hilarious bug-eyed thing. So funny. I wonder, what, I wonder how many takes that took to film without the actors cracking up laughing. Rita must have had a really hard time when Dexter uh, was, was opening his eyes wider, trying to force himself to cry. But inside, Dex is going mad, questioning his every move, but wonders if he can help the situation by pacifying Rita, give her something. Guess what? Remembering the little sexual favour Rita gave him before? 
Dexter kisses her neck before burying his head under her skirt, as advised by a drunken Batista. Rita's puzzled, and he explains that after what she did to him, he's just returning the favour. And of course, she's not in the mood. And he realises he called that wrong. Flashback time again. Young Dexter comes home from the dance, and Harry's still up, with, of course, some more advice. That you, Dex? Sorry, I'm late. It's okay, son. You must have been having fun. No, I pretended to. That's good, Dexter. Dad? Do you think that maybe one day I'll, you know, feel it? You know, for real? I hope so, son. I really do. It's sad, you know. You can see the boy wants to be able to feel something. It's as if he realises his life would be much more fulfilling if he felt normal emotions like everyone else. And it's touching how genuine Harry is there. Next, we join present-day Dexter at the dock, where Jorge Castillo keeps his boat, as noted by Dexter on his earlier recon. He finds the right boat, musing how relationships are just too confusing for him, but this, the act of hunting and killing, this he can do, and do well. He boards the boat, looking for evidence of Castillo being a killer, something he always seems to need before killing someone. He finds a box of mobile phones, and he knows that if one of them matches Yelena's fiancé's phone number, Castillo's the one. But he gets more evidence than that. He notices a hatch to below decks. He picks the lock and finds the hold flooded. A body floats up, and he realises Castillo puts them in there, lets them drown, and then dumps the bodies later. If they get washed up ashore, they'll just get put down by the authorities as yet another failed illegal immigrant trying to sail into Florida. Dexter takes some photos of the bodies, but he's disturbed by the arrival of Castillo. He hides on the dock while Castillo casts off and takes the boat out. Next, we join Deb and Dokes at the hospital, having another go at talking to Tony Tucci, who's obviously taken a shine to Deb. But he wonders if a woman will ever find him attractive again with him in this disabled, mutilated state. And he's still having a tough time remembering anything significant to help the police, so Dokes asks them to try another technique that Deb suggested earlier to help him recall. They put a blindfold on him, and this seems to help him focus. He remembers smelling menthol from cough drops. He heard his abductor clearing his throat a lot and unwrapping what he now thinks were cough sweets. Debs and Dokes go with Masuka back to the hospital to check rat nests, thinking rats were maybe taking evidence from the scene and taking it back to their nest, fibres from the sheets and whatnot. Masuka alluded to that earlier. They think they might find a cough sweet wrapper amongst one of the nests, and sure enough, they do. But Masuka gets a giggle here with Dokes and Deb crowded close around him as he inspects the nest. Aha, uh-huh, promising. Several fragments from this sheet here. These rat bastards were repeat customers. Who had garlic for lunch? I'm gonna punch you in the neck. Actually, I think you're gonna French me. Back at the police department, Dex is in his office preparing for whatever he has in store for Castillo. When he hears a noise outside, it's Deb, Dokes, Batista and several other officers gathered around Masuka as he's examining the sweet wrapper. As Batista so eloquently puts it to Dexter, after two months of finding fuck all, a sweet wrapper is like the Holy Grail. It's a good line. They find a partial fingerprint on there, though, 
and the officers are ecstatic. Laguerta puts the find down to luck, but Dokes gives Deb the credit for good police work. Nice to see that Dokes, for all his gruffness, he can give Deb credit where it's due, something Laguerta just cannot bring herself to do. We cut to a scene where Castillo is unloading illegal Cuban immigrants from the back of a van at gunpoint, and he ushers them into a container unit. As he locks the door, he notices a lit candle on the ground. He then notices a trail of them, leading into the scrapyard amongst the stacks of cars, ending at the rusty caravan Dexter noticed when he was there earlier. Castillo opens the door. The interior of the caravan is covered in plastic, and there are photos of drowned immigrants. Of course, we know what's coming, don't we? As he goes inside, as you do, and he gazes around, bewildered, Dexter appears and sticks a needle in his neck, rendering him unconscious. But immediately, there's a noise outside. We see it's Castillo's wife getting out of her car. She calls in vain for her husband, and when she gets no answer, she pulls out a gun. Her readiness to do this suggests to us and Dexter that maybe she isn't entirely unaware of her husband's murderous activities. She opens the container as Dexter watches. A Cuban woman jumps at her, trying to get out, but she gets unceremoniously shoved back inside. Dexter watches, amazed at this unexpected development. Get back in there, you Cuban piece of shit! Incredible. They're even better matched than I thought. A true partnership. We cut back to the caravan, presumably several minutes later, because both Castillo and his wife are gagged, naked and shrink-wrapped to the table. Dexter takes his usual blood slides as he talks to them. And I rarely deviate from a plan, but I just didn't have the heart to split up such a perfect couple. You two are quite a lucrative operation going. You're a really good team. It's clever, too. No one questions another drowned Cuban man or woman or child. So which one of you thought this up? They get freedom. We free them. They thank us for God's sake. For drowning them and dumping their bodies in the ocean, please. We can pay you. We have money. That's what it's all about, right? I love you. I love you so much. I love you so much. Dexter pauses, their declaration of love making him think. Question, I want you to answer me honestly. No more bullshit, do you understand? How long have you been married? Twelve years. How do you love each other? You're like me. You make it work. How? The we same want the thing. same same life. And we both we, we want the same thing. Same life. <laughs> You share the same dream. Yes, exactly, yes. Yes, yes. that's it. That's it. That's it. That's, uh... Helpful. Thank you. And that's the end of Jorge and Valerie Castillo. Dex's interaction there is fascinating. 
Harry was taken aback when these two said I love you to each other, faced with death. He actually asked them for relationship advice. It's quite surreal. But good acting from Michael C. Hall there. I loved his mannerisms in that scene. Then we go to a musical sequence. Batista drinking alone in a Latin bar with his thoughts. And Deb bringing one of the street girls to visit Tucci in hospital. God bless her. It's a kind gesture to help rebuild his shattered confidence. Outside the room, Deb exchanges a nice smile with Tucci's doctor she met earlier. Back at the scrapyard, it's sunrise, and Dexter's bringing out the bagged-up Castillos and putting them in his car. However, as he drives away, the camera zooms in on a nearby car, and an eye looking out of a hole. I wonder how much they saw. But before he leaves the yard, Dexter unlocks the container so the Cubans can get out. We then join Dexter out on his boat, looking at the sonar screen, and we see several dots on there, suggesting there might be quite a few bodies down there. He drops the Castillo's bodies over the side. He'd only set out to kill Jorge, but recognises that he deviated from his plan by killing Valerie too, even though she was a legitimate fit with what we, what we so far know of the code. But he says how sometimes you have to take a risk, and he observes how, isn't that what relationships are all about? We cut from there to his apartment where he's adding two new blood slides to his collection, and we see how he's starting to learn more about emotions and relationships. He just has a hard time putting it into practice. Our final scene sees Dexter and Rita having dinner. Do you have a dream? For your life? Your future, I guess? Of course. Do you? I sound weird. I want to someday be content just to feel comfortable like everyone else. I want a normal life. Yeah, a normal life. That's all I want. Just that. No fame and fortune. Excitement at every turn. Oh. No, I've had enough excitement. Thank you. Well, I'll take boring. Average. Ordinary. <laughs> That's weird, huh? Subtle but effective acting from both Michael Seahall and Julie Benz there. You can see Dexter trying to open up to Rita without incriminating himself, choosing his words carefully. And you can see the relief on his face when she says normal life, relieved that she understands. OK, she can't possibly understand his unique personal perspective, but she understands on a certain level, because she wants the same thing. I actually found it quite a moving scene, a credit to the performances, but maybe also because we've seen Dexter struggle up until now to say anything very appropriate or sensitive to Rita. So, that was episode five, Love, American Style. The episode title obviously intended to be ironic and a reference to the very warm welcome the Castillos give the Cuban immigrants. The Ice Truck Killer took us 
uh, sorry, the ice truck killer case took a step forward with the discovery of the partial fingerprint. Deb gets a lot of credit from Dokes for her good police work, which was nice to see. Tucci gets laid, and Deb's getting admiring glances from a doctor. Dexter and Rita seem to have reached an understanding in their relationship. Things are looking up all round, it seems. Listener feedback. A bit of feedback to talk about. First off, an email from a new listener, Matt Murdick, from St. Louis, Missouri. He used to do the excellent Keys to Lost podcast, and has recently started the US WhoCast, a podcast about the modern Doctor Who era, starting, like we have, with Dissecting Dexter, going back to review the early episodes of this modern reboot Doctor Who period uh, with the Christopher Eccleston episodes. If you like Doctor Who, check out Matt's podcast, the US WhoCast. It's on iTunes, or you can get at it on the web at USWhoCast, or one word, .wordpress.com. Matt writes, Hi Gareth, just started watching Dexter, finished the pilot, and have just finished listening to your first podcast on the show. Excellent. My impressions of Dexter as a person are indeed mixed. A character that I loathe and root for simultaneously. It's very much like the way I felt about Ben Linus in Lost. I couldn't help but love him and hate him simultaneously. It's a great personality dynamic to explore and adds intrigue and interest. The character that I most invested in, at least in terms of pondering over, was Dexter's foster father. Here is a man who, basically, I suppose out of love for Dexter, evidently gives Dexter the direction he needs to satisfy his criminal urge in a way that his father feels is for the good of all. While quite possibly well-intended, I personally find this more evil than Dexter's hunger itself. The job of a police officer is a trusted position. While we are all human and we want the best for our offspring, why did he not more why why did he not more actively attempt to help Dexter by more conventional methods, i.e. therapy or at least more intensive therapy? Perhaps there is more to this as the seasons go on, but right now I see the one person who could have been a truly a help to Dexter become the catalyst for his demented side of life. Thanks very much, Matt. It's great to hear from you, and I'm glad you enjoyed the opening podcast. Your thoughts on Harry Morgan echo my own, really. It's a disturbing thing that here's Harry in his trusted position as someone employed to uphold the law, basically nurturing harbouring a killer and helping him stay off the radar. He gives him personal advice too, to help him get on with family, have friendships and relationships, as we saw in this latest episode. But you're right when you question why he didn't do more to help Dexter by conventional means, therapy and so on, unless he himself was frustrated at how many killers escaped justice and saw Dexter as someone who could potentially be a tool to dish out a different kind of justice, something Harry couldn't do himself in his capacity as a police officer. However, there are many, many Dexter episodes ahead of us, and inevitably a lot of history to be revealed, including perhaps more on, Dex uh, more on Harry's motivation. So at this stage, we can only speculate, really, but your thoughts are perfectly valid, and I agree. Harry Morgan is a bit of a bizarre contradiction. Next, a comment submitted via the blog, which you can visit at dissectingdexter.blogspot.com. And there's a, there's a comment submission box on there. This comment's from Kasper Sanderhoff in Denmark, who says, Hi, I just want to say that this is a great idea. I wish that I, well, sorry, I wish that I had come up with it. I've seen the episodes many times, but rehearing them is great. Kudos to you. Keep up the good work. 
P.S. Have you seen the clip on YouTube from Season 5? Thanks for the feedback, Casper. I'm glad you like the podcast. I'm having fun doing it, and it's great to revisit the old episodes. It's been a few years since I saw them, so they're pretty much fresh for me, and now I'm spotting things that I missed the first time. And about the clip for Season 5, there is a trailer for Season 5 online, and yes, I have seen it, and I'm beyond excited. But I'll, of course, be keeping Season 5 talk to a separate podcast to avoid spoiling anyone. An email now from Matt Humphrey, who writes... Just thought I'd send you a note of support. Love what you're doing with the podcast. It's very obvious that you put in a lot of effort into your reviews and that you actually do dissect each episode. Don't listen to those people who say you go on too long. The more you read into each thing in an episode, the more interesting your review becomes, in my opinion anyway. Great use of sound clips too. It helps jog my memory on these episodes that I haven't seen in a year or so. Keep up the great work. Thanks Matt, I really appreciate that. I did get a little criticism last time, but constructive criticism is a good thing. But I also realise that you can't please everyone all the time, so if I can strike a balance, then that's good. Lastly, I got another email from Megan Reed, who wrote back to tell me about a project she did at school for her English class. I hope she doesn't mind me sharing this with you, but I thought it was a good story. They had a project to choose a story from a book, a film or TV show, and choose a theme connecting to that story and discuss it. Megan chose Deception in Dexter, and it turned out her teacher was also a big fan of the show. Megan goes into detail about what she produced for the project, and it sounds like she put in a hell of a lot of work and got a fantastic grade at the end of it. It's great when we're given a task or project in life to do, and we can make use of our passion for something we really like, in this case a favourite TV show. Thanks for writing in again, Megan, and well done for getting a top grade. If you want to write into the show or maybe send an mp3 voicemail that I can play on the air, my email address is dissectingdexter at gmail.com or you can contact me on Twitter at dissectdexter. So, that's it for now. Next time we'll be covering Season 1, Episode 6, entitled Return to Sender. And by the end of that, we'll be exactly halfway through this first season. Are you enjoying it? Are you watching this show with us for the first time? What do you think of it so far? Let me know. So until next time, when we can dissect a bit more Dexter, thanks for listening and thanks for the great feedback. It's really appreciated. I'll speak to you again soon. Cheers.